respect to womanhood. Amen. The book of Hebrews chapter 13 I spoke from this morning. If you'll turn there, please let me see if I can complete this sermon tonight. Chapter 13, the book of Hebrews. I'll just read one verse. Verse 10, if you stand together, please. Verse 10, we have an altar. Say it together with the please. Ready? Whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. Many of the Hebrew folks were wanting to go back into Judaism as other folks in the Bible did. Sometimes they were having trouble because of persecution. There was a temptation to stop by the, by the wayside and maybe turn around and go back. They were drifting. How shall we escape so great a salvation you know, if we neglect it and we don't pay attention to it? And they were in that mood and mode, and I believe the Apostle Paul wrote the letter. And he was comparing the Old Testament and the various uh, orders that the Jews had, especially with the uh, offerings in the tabernacle. This is complete. When Jesus said it's finished, it's finished. Amen. And when he put the nail on the, right on the head and cried, and he didn't cry softly. A dying man don't cry like Jesus cried. A dying man's gasping for breath and, Whispering, and maybe he might say, It's finished, but not Jesus. Losing all the blood he lost, suffering like no other man ever suffered, he cried, It is finished. And when it was finished, the veil in the temple was rent from top to bottom. The access to God was made clear and plain. You don't have to go through a man, don't have to go through anybody else. You don't have to go through a high priest that's ordained of man, but the one that was ordained of God, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our eternal high priest. And Jesus Christ died on the cross to be the ultimate sacrifice for our sins and pay the sin debt that we owe. And when we say we have an altar, we have an altar. And I talked about that a little bit this morning. We have an altar, and we need to realize we have an altar. You say, preacher, there's an altar. No, this is just steps right here. That's a pew. You can make an altar there as far as physical body is concerned, but prayer in the New Testament is not a matter of having some place to, to bow before a shrine or before a, 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 some sacrifice given. It is on the inside, and the altar is always accessible to God, and He is the throne of grace in heaven. Jesus, our high priest, sitting by the right hand of majesty, is there, every interceding for us, and I'm glad we can go to the throne of grace any time and obtain mercy. Amen. Prayer is our altar. The cross was Jesus' altar. He was a sacrifice. And then the Lord told us to be really willing to give ourselves a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. We have an altar. So I just want to fill in the gaps a little bit tonight, and we'll go to the house here in just a few moments. Father, thank you for the good singing. Thank you for the privilege we have to be in the house of the Lord. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for all you've done for us today. I pray, Lord, you'll bless the thoughts for just a few moments. I ask for the fresh endowment of the power of the Holy Spirit of God upon my life. And, Lord, I'll be thankful for that. Bless our people. Lord, may you give them exactly what they need tonight. And, Lord, may you show mercy where mercy is needed to all of our lives. Help us to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. May be seated. I said, number one, this morning, the significance of the altar if you go back to the records of the Old Testament, Noah made an altar. Abraham built an altar, several of them. 
Abraham, several times I got Abraham's offering down or his prayer at an altar. Isaac made an altar, second generation from Abraham. Isaac made an altar. Uh, Moses made an altar in Exodus 17, 15, and named it Jehovah Nassau, or God's banner, and all the way through. And sometimes these altars were repeated, repetition. There were various altars for various things. For instance, uh, God directed Israel in the Old Testament to build altars, and they did build altars. And as they built them, sometimes it was a time of joy. They built an altar to express joy to God. From our hearts should come joy. Amen. From the inside, we have what we call the eternal, uh, everlasting fountain flowing on the inside. It is eternal life flowing like a fountain. We sing this song sometimes, you know, we got joy like a fountain flowing in our soul, or we got love like a fountain, whatever the case may be. But that joy of the Lord should be our strength. And there's sometimes we just need to pause and bow our heads. And from our heart, from the heart, the mouth speaketh. Whatever I say to God is going to come from my heart. And from my heart to speak it. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's not so good. Sometimes I don't pray like I should. Sometimes I vacate it and go away from it. And I've been reminded to go back, back in any place, any time. How many of you ever driven down the road and you prayed while you drove the car? Raise your hand. How many did it with your eyes closed? How many quoted the scripture, watch and pray? You know, it's good to pray in the car. If you get real happy in the car, I suggest you pull over and just shout on the side of the road. I don't be something going down the road and see some Christian or whoo, glory to God, hallelujah. And you wonder what they're doing. They're praising the Lord. They take their hands off of the steering wheel and say, God's going to take care of me. I'm under God's protection. You may run into a semi-truck. <laughs> God may say, don't be so foolish about that. Just shout with one hand. You're going to shout. And the best thing to do is probably pull off the side of the road and just shout all you want to. But I've found you can shout about anywhere. Arthur Reed Green has got a message called, What Took the Shout Out of the Church? You know what he said? People not tithing. Wow, that's a good sermon right there. Wow. For out of the heart the mouth speaketh, and it'll affect the rest of your body also as we live the Christian life. So the significance of the altar in building it was for, because it's recorded in the Holy Scriptures, others did it, as an example to us, including some of the great men of God. Repetition for joy, for times of sorrow, for times of victory, times of defeat in lives, times of repentance, Various reasons, communication, what it is with God. What prayer is and what an altar is to a Christian is being able to bow in his presence and talk to him. You don't have to even close your eyes. It doesn't matter about the position of your body. Uh, somebody I read the other day, they was discussing how your body, you're supposed to act when you pray. Some say you're supposed to fold your hands like this reverently and bow your head like this, and that's fine. Some say you're supposed to pray like this with your hands in the air, and that's fine. Some say you've got to get, kneel, on, kneel down and pray while, while you're on bending knees, and that's fine. Some say that you've got to express your uh, love and devotion to God by just falling on the floor and praying to God, and that's fine. All of those are great. But one man said, he said, well, I'll tell you the best position I ever had in praying. He said, it was on my head. He said, I fell in old John Jacob's twelve, and when I went head first down, all I did was pray all the way down. So my position was head down and feet up. So don't worry about your position so much. Don't worry about the, the, the position of your body. It is good to have it, good to kneel, good to pray. And if you do it regularly at the same time, same station, that's wonderful. Some of us may sit at our desk and pray. Some may be on the side of the bed. And it's a regular ritual, and I think that's great to have. 
But wherever you go, wherever you're at, you can pray to God. He is as close as breath is to your body. Draw nigh unto the Lord, and He'll draw nigh to you, James 4, 8 says. And it means so much to us to realize that we have something that the unsaved world don't have. And they can chatter, and they can go through prayers, and they can count their beads and all the things they do, and they can say all the rigmarole and all the fancy language. But when you're talking to God, you're talking to a real live person, not a dead statue, not a stone, not some building beside the road or some bench beside the road. You're talking to the God of heaven, the great God of heaven who made us in the beginning and wants to commune with us. He did in the garden. He come walking in the cool of the day. Why? Just so he could talk to Adam and Eve. And he wants to talk to you. By the way, in case you don't know it, he knows your name. And I'll tell you what he else knows. He knows your middle name. How many has got a middle name? At the count of three, everybody shout your middle name out. Ready? One, two, three. Oh, that's terrible. We now have the gift of tongues in our church. But God heard it. I used to wonder how back in West Virginia people gather around the altar and everybody pray at the same time. That's fine. No problem with that at all. But they all prayed and, and you'd have one person lead and usually there's some after it dies down, another man sort of takes it to the end and prays. I wonder, how could God hear everybody praying at the same time? I mean, I, I get confused just one or two people talking to him. And here God's listening to millions of people around the world. How in the world could God listen to people at the same time? It ain't my problem. <laughs> God, God take care of that. There are some things I can't do, but God can do everything, anything, and nothing is impossible to God is what the Bible says. So if that be true, it is true. He hears every prayer. And the prayer is a sincere desire of the heart. That's the definition probably given by Webster. It's a sincere desire of the heart. And people ought to pray unto God and realize there's a repetition of that, not repetition like the heathen do. For there are many words that they say. They chatter certain languages to make up words. And they say over and over again the same words. He says, not vain repetition, but it's praying to the God of heaven that makes a difference. Repetition. After the building was Done, there was significant time of dedication, and that's important to have. Motivation behind these prayers is they built an altar. That was the motivation they had. They had joy, or they were repenting. Whatever it was, they found time to build an altar. And one of the most saddest things in the, in the Bible in the Old Testament probably was Abraham who built altars, and Lot went down to Sodom and never read about him building an altar. Abraham. One reason why God let Abraham go down to Sodom and help in the deliverance of Saul and getting him a lot, I mean, getting back where he's supposed to be is because Abraham prayed. And God said, I know that he, he loves me and trusts me. And God put him through the severe test, of course, there in Genesis 22 of offering up his own son. But he was willing to do it. Reverence for the God of Israel. Respond from the God of Israel's standpoint and what God has to say. This scripture has helped me more than anything in the world. I forget the passage, the, the, the page. And to forget the book. I think it's in Samuel. God will honor them that honor him. And one way you honor God is by talking to him. He loves to talk to you. As I got older, and many of you feel the same way, it's always good around Christmas, anytime, anytime your grandkids call you or your kids call you and just call you on the phone. Boy, there's something about that. My mama, I used to listen to her phone calls with her mother. Miss Riggs lived in Canova, West Virginia. And mom would call her, or Miss, her mother would call her, my grandmother would call my mother, and they would talk on the phone. And I heard them say, boy, it's been a while since I've talked to you. So glad you called. So good to talk to you. Then I found that true when I got older. 
Mom said, I've been waiting on you, son. Thank you for calling. Or to call our parents and grandparents regularly. You ought to know that we love them. Or to communicate with them. And, and I, I like to hear it when somebody calls me or tells me my grandkids come by while they're going to give me a kiss. And, and uh, I appreciate that. They really wanted candy. They just wanted to, the best way to get to the meal is to go through the preacher and just kiss him on the cheek and he'll give all the candy you want. Don't none of you adults try that because you won't get no candy. Uh, just don't try that. I ain't, I ain't kissing no men. I can't think of a worse thing in the world to snuggle up to a man. Well, anyhow, that's another sermon too. <coughs> Hebrews 4 says we can go before the throne of grace and have mercy in the time of need. It's a time of reflection. It's a time of looking at our life. It's a time of being serious and sober with God. Significance of the altar, number two, the sacrifice of the altar. Surrender is a beautiful giving out, giving out of devotion, surrendering ourselves to God. The sovereignty of God, the almighty God of heaven, wants to be worshipped. He is the Lord God Almighty, and He's a jealous God. He wants you to worship Him. Don't you think that's sort of prideful on His part? No, it's because of who He is. And why Him giving us the command that He's a jealous God, and He wants to be praised and honored, it teaches us how to praise and honor Him. Open our mouths wide, talk to Him, spend time with Him. He loves to hear from us. Now, how He does it, I don't know, and I'm not going to worry about it, but God heard me today. He heard you today. If you prayed to him, did you pray? Ere you left your room this morning, did you take time to pray? Have you prayed today? Have you prayed today? And sometimes your life gets full of frustration and aggravation. Sometimes prayer is an antidote to that. It doesn't always work out immediately, but you begin to have a habit of prayer. You're conscious of his presence. And he goes with you. He said, I will go with you all the way, even to the end of the world. I'm sort of glad God don't mind us praying to him. When he talks about wisdom, he said, let a man ask. And he says, he giveth liberally. He upbraideth not. He doesn't say, well, you just asked for that yesterday. You could ask for wisdom 10 times a day or 20 times a day. And God says, that's all right. Just keep asking, keep asking, asking. You shall receive. And we need to learn how to talk to God. I need to learn how to talk to God better. After all these years, sometimes in my prayer life, I think I'm in kindergarten. But learning how to pray, learning how to talk to God as though he were there, and he is there, and he's right inside of you, just as close as breath is to your body, the Lord God is. We say, Preacher, I don't feel him. You don't live by feeling, you live by faith. And feeling may come and feeling may go, but faith in God will increase in your growing, growing Christian progress, and you'll get closer and closer. Abraham became the friend of God and the faithful man of the Old Testament and the father of the nation of Israel and the, and the father of three groups of people today, religions. How amazing it is that Abraham was a friend of God. Moses was the meekest man on the face of the earth. God said that about him. He was a man that was close to God. He talked to God audibly, as it were, on Mount Sinai. It's amazing how his face and his head would glow when he was in the presence of God. Now, he had a distinct purpose, and he was in a, in a relationship with God that we maybe are not in, but he was just a sinner saved by grace like we are. God was using him for unusual purposes, but I'm glad that God wants us to pray to him. Sometimes there's been some people I've been around who prayed where it looked like their face was glowing. They get close to God. They've been with the Lord, walked with Him and talked with Him. And sometimes it radiates on the outside. It radiates in your life that you've been around God. So the sacrifice of the altar expressed in several ways. But in Matthew twenty-two thirty-two, 32, the Bible says, 
I am the God of Abraham. He brings it up in the New Testament. And the God of Isaac, there he was in the Old Testament. And the God of Jacob, and he was in the Old Testament. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. So yes, Abraham's dead. Isaac is dead. Jacob is dead. Moses is dead. And all the Old Testament patriarchs are dead. But Jesus is alive forevermore. The same yesterday, today, and forever. In the same verses in Hebrews 13, it says that Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I can call on him just like anybody in the Old Testament did. Anybody in the early days of the church called on him. I have the right and the access to go before the throne of heaven. I have the right because of Jesus Christ and the blood that we shed on Calvary and open up the door, open up the access that I could go right before the very throne of heaven with my request, with my prayer. And sometimes I'm ashamed of my prayer life. How about you? Sometimes we need to find us an altar and realize it's on the inside. God always works on the inside out. And so the sovereignty of God is at display. Explained a little bit, I said about being a jealous of God. Exodus chapter 20. I am the Lord thy God, which hath brought thee out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Well, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Well, for any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that's in the earth beneath. Well, no, well, it's not in the Bible. I just added that in there for amen. For that is for the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children upon the third and the fourth generation of them that hate me. Wow. That's sobering. Yeah. And showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. You want mercy? Love him. You want mercy? Tell him you love him. You want mercy? Spend time with him. And he will give you mercy and goodness and grace and things we have to have. Yes, he loves all of us. But as you pray and as you seek the face of God, you get closer to God. God becomes more real to you. My mama used to sing a song, My God is Real. I know He's real. And I love to hear her sing it. But God is real. He's not a figment of my imagination. He's not like Santa Claus. He's real. Now, Santa Claus, maybe he's dressed up real, but he's, he's Santa Claus. But God is not a Santa Claus. He's not a granddaddy sitting up in heaven waiting for you to call on Him, call Him the old man or somebody like, or my sweet daddy, and you need to come with reverence and say, Dear Heavenly Father, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Willing to sacrifice. If you have an altar, that's what an altar's for. Sacrifice. They're sacrifices of praise. They're sacrifices of honor. But taking the time to praise the Lord in prayer is a sacrifice. And God taught us to do that in the, in the Word of God. Take the test sometimes in our life. Surrender will be tested by what you are willing to sacrifice. That's where your faith will be tested, and that's where your surrender will be tested. Lord, I've given everything to God. i put it all on the altar. Have you? Have I? Did Jesus give all to us on the cross? He paid it all. He gave all He had. He gave all He had. He gave every drop of blood that was in His body. He took every bruise that battered His body. He took every thorn that pierced His brow. He took every laceration across his back. He took it all, all the agony and the pain and the suffering that he took. He did it all for us. And then he says, I want you to present yourself a body, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable. And you don't need a dead sacrifice. You don't need Moses. He's dead. Abraham is dead. Isaac's dead. Jacob's dead. But I am the God of the living, not the God of the dead. Now, those guys are alive on the other side, but they're not on this earth. And I'm glad God's good for every generation 
and for every people in every culture, every city, every village, every hamlet around the world, the test comes. This test of speech may sometimes be revealing what we really are like. If you're around anybody any length of time, how they talk is what they are. If they use bad language, that's what they are. If they want to tell dirty jokes, that's to that degree, that's what they are on the inside. And if they want to disobey God and do things they think they ought to do themselves and turn away from God, that's the person they are. You surround somebody very long. You can fool some of the people some of the time, and you may fool everybody for some time, but you can't fool God. He knows exactly who you are, where you're at, and what you're doing, and what your life is like. So the test is this, are you willing to sacrifice? Am I able to put all on the altar for Jesus? Take my life and let it be completely consecrated to thee. Then Matthew 26, 73 talks about your speech. Peter, and after a while came he and stood by and said to Peter, surely thou art one of them. This is in the crucifixion story. Peter would get over by the fire, getting away from the crowd. For thy speech betrayeth thee. They picked out Peter by his speech. I wonder if they, God let somebody look at us and catch us in our speech and determine that's how spiritual they are. Nobody knows how spiritual another being is, but we ought to be spiritual that it reflects on our lips. From the mouth praises what's in the belly, the Bible teaches over and over again. How about your lips? Thy speech may be thou wouldst speak. Peter, your speech betrayeth you. What takes you off quickly? Could I take a survey tonight? What takes you off quickly? And somebody says, you don't have time to hear all mine. You get ticked off quickly. I used to ride with a preacher who used to really get ticked off driving. And I, and I honestly, I, I got where I didn't want to ride with him because when we get behind somebody, he'd blow the horn. Get out of the way. Parker, get out of the way. And then when he went by, he'd do like, I said, preacher. And then what's really bad is when you stop down the road a while at the same service station and you get out and there's a the guy, you just... So what I did to him one time, we stopped for a flat tire. He got, he got slowed down. I walked up the ditch for a little while beside the road and found a beer bottle, whiskey bottle, and I put it in his car. <laughs> and so down the road after a while, the conversation changed. I said, well, I won't call his name. He's in heaven now. Good friend. Good friend. He'd do the same to me. And I said, what are you doing with a whiskey bottle? What if, what if your family saw that? What are they going to think? Are you been, have you been drinking on the side? He said, who put that in there? I said, but look, I don't know. Let's check and see if your DNA may be on the, on the bottle. It's a shame, preacher. Fuss at this guy driving down the road and you're here drinking. No wonder you shake your fist at people. You've been drinking on the side. Now, he wasn't drinking and he wasn't guilty. And being the spiritual man I was, I confessed my sin and had to walk for the next 10 miles. <laughs> but our lips and our feet... Same volumes, running errands for him everywhere. Acts 10, 38, the Bible talks about Jesus, how he went everywhere. And God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good, healing all that was oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. The same thing the Lord wants us to do because we're supposed to be like Jesus. Can I have an amen? amen. I'm supposed to look like and act like the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but i got a lot of room for improvement. The greatest room in the world is a room for improvement. 
and all of us need to improve sometimes in our actions. And I see more non-Christian things going on at Christmas time than any other time of the season for the years. You ever stood in line at a Target or what's the rest of these shops? Walmart, Belks, Coles, Dillard's. You ever stood in the line and get aggravated? Have you ever seen somebody fussing somebody else over something else? Some of the most bitter speech I've heard around Christmas, I don't know to be. It'd be better you not celebrate Christmas. Then they get all frustrated because they can't get the gift in time, and they get antsy because it ain't working out, and they can't get this, can't get that. They couldn't, somebody couldn't get the, same, the gift they wanted to get them, and they had to settle for something else. Do we not teach folks it's not the gift, but it's the thought that counts? I realize it's good to give a gift, and I want to try to give a gift to my wife and to my grandkids and to my children. I think it's great to do that, exchange gifts. But when we exchange gifts, there ought to be somewhere along the way, either reading of the scriptures at home or singing a Christmas carol before we open gifts, because sometimes we teach our children to be selfish if we're not careful. And what I've also discovered about Christmas time when our kids were little, when Andrew was little, and even the grandkids when they were smaller, they opened all the gifts and all the papers everywhere, and then they played with the box. So we decided this year just to wrap up boxes. You can give beautiful boxes, make them look attractive, and they can open up those boxes, and they would probably be shocked to death nothing's in the box. And then you can say you could do another gift, have it ready for them, but teaching them it's all in love and not just what's in the box. I used to go off, travel a lot years ago, and the first question Andrew would say, he said, Daddy, what'd you bring me? I say, I always got him something when I was gone on a trip. If it's overseas or wherever's at, I got him something. And I say, uh, how about me? And he said, what'd you bring me? I said, literally looking at it. Just come, just come and hug me. And he comes over and he said, oh, shucks, Daddy. I thought you brought me something. Well, I did. And I gave it to him later. But I want him, first of all, to know I want you to love me because I'm your daddy. And I want to love you because you're my son. I don't want to do it just for what I get or what I don't get out of it as a gift. This, some adults sometimes get really upset because they don't get a gift. Just learn to be a giver and you'll get a gift. Just give, just give things away. Just give as much as you can. Earn as much as you can. Give as much as you can. Save as much as you can. So said John Wesley. And may God help us to be faithful in doing what we're supposed to do. Let me hurry. I'll just mention these in passing. Your knees may be much spent in prayer. The Muslims pray five times a day, understand, at day, dawn, midday, and middle of the afternoon, just after sunset and nightfall. They pray five times a day. I've been in Muslim countries where the Muslims are at, and they literally on the street have a little towel. They fall right on the street. Sometimes they get on the car and pray five times a day. When they sounded the message by the apparatus in the temple or the, the mosque, they knew it was time to pray. It's hard to get us to pray sometime, even to bow just a little bit for the cause of Jesus Christ. Our hands helping others. Good ministry to head up is helping others. You can't help everyone, but you can help someone. Get an others mentality. Others, Lord, this is my motto. Others, Lord, let my motto be the motto of Jesus Christ. Others, let me live like Thee. Let me live like Thee. And when I live my life, may it be for others, Lord, others. May we get out of our selfishness. Our shoulders should be used to sacrifice on our life, being bearing others' burdens. Bear ye one another's burdens. Galatians 6, 2. Romans 15, 1 through 3. Bear one another's burdens. People are hurting. They need somebody to care. Your heart often moved with compassion. The sick and the sinful 
Dr. Howard Kelly, the great, wrote about the great Spurgeon in his diary. I dedicate myself, my time, my capabilities, my ambitions to thee. Blessed Lord, sanctify me to thy use. Give me no worldly success which may not lead me nearer to thee. Charles Spurgeon. Wow, what a prayer. So the test comes and the time comes, and these are urgent times. And the Bible says, redeeming the days for the days, redeeming the time, the days are evil. May God help us to be up and about the Father's business. Number two is the sacrifice of the altar. And lastly, the sacredness of the altar. I said at the outset of the message, it is the connection with God. That's what prayer is. James 4, 8, 2 Chronicles 15, 2, 2 Chronicles 7, 14, that my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and call upon me, that I'll heal from heaven and heal their land. The recipe for revival, the connection with God. How do I connect with God? How do you connect with God? There's two ways. One is through prayer, and the other is through the Bible. That's the two ways. I know the Holy Spirit lifts up Jesus in us. The Holy Spirit guides and guards our life, and He wants to if we do not grieve Him. But yet to come to the sacredness of the altar building, the Holy Ghost, we're connecting with the Creator. I almost want to take off my shoes tonight and say you're on holy ground. Moses, take your shoes off at the burning bush. Why? You're on holy ground. And sometimes when you get alone with God and you're praying and you sense that God is there, it's holy ground. It's holy ground. He's there all the time. But sometimes it's just more real into our lives. And He wants us to pray. A prayer is the sincere desire of the heart. It is not only a time of connection, it's a time of correction from God. All Scripture is profitable. It's good for us. And sometimes in prayer life is when God corrects us. Has anybody ever come to your mind while you're praying over a list or you've been praying of somebody you've been praying for and God, you just sort of stop right there and camp right there for a while and pray for them a little longer? Or maybe somebody you don't like is on your prayer list and you stop and say, Lord, bless them. Help me not to have bad feelings toward them. Lord, help me to forgive, anybody, to forgive anybody for anything until I treat them worse than Jesus Christ than I treated him, so said Sam P. Jones. I've treated people bad, Sam P. Jones said. If somebody does me harm, I'm willing to forgive them. Over and over again in the Bible, it's taught. You can't please everybody and you can't live for everybody and people let you down, but you can have a heart of love toward anybody. How about the bum beside the road? How about the skid row that we have in most of our towns? How about the person that's down and out? How about the person that's just lowly and lonely? How about the person that needs a touch of freshness in their life? Dr. Howells used to say on radio, pray for everybody because everybody's having a rough time. Everybody does. I ask for a show of hands. Everybody in this room has got problems. It may be big, they may be little, and the little may be magnified to big ones, but you've got problems. As you read and hear the Bible, sometimes God begins to coach us toward a certain thing we want to be doing in our life. He may be chastening us for reproof. Those whom God loveth, He chasteneth, Hebrews chapter 12. If you don't receive chastening, then you're not a child of God. You're illegitimate. When's the last time you got spanked for being mean? Spiritually. What's that mean? When I disobey God, I know I disobey God. I know. I said something I shouldn't say. I went somewhere I shouldn't go. I read something I shouldn't be reading. I watched something I shouldn't be watching. And the Holy Spirit just works on the inside. And boy, I'm going to tell you what, that's a miserable, one of the great ways to know you're saved is when the Holy Spirit works on the inside of your soul. 
when you know you're doing, you're doing wrong, and he reminds you, he said, I'll speak all things and teach you all things. He will convict and convince us of our need of Christ. It's profitable getting the commands as we pray, righteous, living righteous before the Lord. As we read and hear the Bible, the voice of God, it moves us to perfection or maturity. So we go from the fact of having connection to being having correction to coming to perfection. And the whole book of Hebrews about let us go on to maturity. Let us go on. Let's don't go back to the early things. Those are fine. You build on that. Just keep going. Let us keep going unto perfection. We sing a song sometime, and it's in the scriptures also. Lord, search me and know me. Know my heart. Know my heart. And see if there be any wicked way in me. Now, I don't know what's in your heart tonight. You don't know what's in mine. Getting ready to close the message. But I want to ask you, are you honest with God? What's been bugging you lately? Just what's been, what's been irritating you? What's been frustrating to you? Oswald Chambers says that frustration is calculating without God. And boy, I've done enough of that without God. Frustration don't solve the problem one bit. But get all frustrated about certain matters. He said when you calculate without God, it's what you get. When you calculate with God, there's peace. There's peace. There's the peace with God, the peace of God that passes all understanding. And somewhere in our Christian maturity, we stop growing. And the whole book of Hebrews is trying to get the, the Hebrew folks to realize they've got something more precious now. Since Jesus died and became the eternal high priest, they don't need to go back. They need to keep going forward. And we're learning and we're learning and we're learning. And you learn things that you sometimes thought, well, that's amazing. That's amazing. So as we go through the connection and the correction and the continuation with God, Hebrews 13, 15, no time to quit. Keep serving the Lord as long as you possibly can. Keep going. Keep serving. Keep loving. Gird your spiritual loins. Let the altar be an important part of your life. The sacredness of the altar. I wrote a song several years ago I've got in my file. It's called, Shall We Gather at the Altar? Shall We Gather at the Altar? It'd be a good time just to come and bring your burdens to the Lord tonight, right here in the middle of the Christmas season. It'd be good just to come and rededicate your life if need be. Or even come and get saved right with God. Don't let the devil defeat you. You'll see he works overtime on all of us, including this preacher. We must stay in the battle as long as we can until the trump sounds or death catches us away. And oh, happy day that'll be. But until then, until then, stay in the battle. Let's stand together, please. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. In just a moment, we sing a verse or two of invitation. If you need to come, by all means, be obedient to the Lord. If you want to stand, you can stand or sit or bow at the altar, whichever you want to do. But we be access to prayer from our heart unto the Lord, God Almighty. Father, take the brokenness of these words tonight. Thank you for the truth of Hebrews chapter 13, verse 10. We have an altar. Oh, how grateful we are that we now have an altar. And then we have access to the throne room of heaven to bring our desires to Him. And Lord, you said, come boldly before the throne of grace. Come boldly. Lord, we don't have to back up. We can come because we're a child of God about anything, big or little, and talk to you about it. God, may you minister grace to people's lives tonight. No matter what it is, may they sense the presence of the Lord is with them. Lord, may we find peace in the midst of the storm till the storm passes by.